everyone, you are listening to Book Stabber, episode number nine, graphic novel bonanza, the graphic novels that we love. I am Willow Payne, I am artist and co-writer of Library Comics. That is so overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> Who is this mysterious person talking to me? I've never and heard And I'm before. Gene Ambaum, uh, I, I, write Willow, I, write library, I write Willow Payne, I write Library Comic with Willow Payne. Hi. Oh, if you write, if you've been writing my life this whole time, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, this week I was like, Willow needs some nightmares. <laughs> Willow, give our standard warning before we get into it. This episode is going to be jam-packed full of spoilers. If you don't like spoilers, then just ignore this one outright. It's fine. The next one will probably be more up your alley. And full of spoilers, too. But still, <laughs> today, today we're doing something very different. We are going to talk about four graphic novels that we both really really like we decided it was time to talk about some books we really love so we looked at our shelves we picked four we are very excited about this episode but first let's talk about our week a bit willow you've had a strange week (laughs) oh my god um i don't think i've had as strange a week as you i well this started because you told me that you had a strange week and you weren't sure if you wanted to talk about it and i just wanted to I, I, the thing that happened to me was that as of last night, I had just like the longest string of bizarre nightmares one after the other. So I have this thing that happens to me a lot where I will go to sleep and then I will have dreams about me being unable to sleep. As a lifelong long insomniac, <laughs> I have a lot of experience of being up at night. And then this gets reflected in my actual dreams. And so I woke up at probably like 7 a.m. this morning and realized, oh, wait, okay, no, I actually was asleep. I dreamt that I kept looking at my phone and it said 4 a.m. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not asleep yet. But I was. Oh, my God. Uh, but it got it got worse and worse. A lot of weird things happened. Uh, I think the most notable one was that I invented a new monster in one of these dreams that was... Basically, I, I think of it as it was like a combination of Pennywise the Clown and the Xenomorph from Alien. Oh my god. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, well, it was as bad as that sounds. It was really bad. It's like if H.R. If Geiger had written so, it. Yeah, which, you know, might have been more interesting. Yeah, I don't it could know. be. Could be. Uh, that's probably as much as I want to get into it. Tell me about your weird. Oh, week. it started with uh, shower repair. I, I now know everything about repairing a shower. Uh, and then my internet went down and I kind of didn't go on the internet for like five days, which was interesting, like a very, very minimally on my phone. And then I went to uh, a wedding that uh, was a friend of mine from high school, his wedding, uh, great wedding. And uh, I got to see a friend of mine this week who I haven't seen since I was 18. So I mean, I hadn't seen her in like 32 years. Uh, that was bizarre in and of itself. But 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 the wedding was also full of people kind of from high school who I didn't exactly know. Um, so I just felt super old all week. <laughs> it was the weirdest, the weirdest possible thing. And then uh, Saturday, uh, I was doing some pruning outside my house. And I was like, my wife had these amazing titanium pruning shears that were just chopping through everything. And I was... I was kind of sculpting this tree in front of my house. And I decided to sculpt my thumb. And I sliced through my thumb, oh, and uh, my th- there was a pool of blood in my hand. And I'm I'm pretty good with with uh, other people's blood, but I'm terrible with my own. And my wife was not home, so I called my daughter, who's now living downstairs. She also moved out last week. Another weird thing. 
uh, moved into our apartment downstairs and and I said I need your help and she came up to find me with like a a handful of blood <laughs> in my bathroom like going I need your help cleaning this and I was I was clearly going into shock but trying to get her to focus uh, which didn't take a lot but it took enough that uh, that snapped me out of it a bit so um, yeah and then and then uh, on Sunday morning I shaved my chest completely for the first time so I could put a heart monitor on that I'm still wearing <laughs> so and. Jesus and every Christ. shirt feels like Velcro. It's very strange. I decided I wouldn't just shave the landing strip this time. I would shave, like, kind of the, the entirety of my chest. And it is it is the most bizarre thing. I mean, shaving your face after you've had a beard for years is weird. But shaving your chest when you've when you've uh, looked like a gorilla since you were fourteen is far far stranger. That's all I can say. So that's my week, Willow. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna edit out. Oh my wait, 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 wait. Oh, and I'm. And I've also been waiting for a COVID test that I took on Monday for the results, but I'm negative. I just found out this morning. Woohoo! Oh, thank. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And and, and the story the story of oh. that is is uh is a weird and not so harrowing test, but uh, not not so harrowing tale. But um, I thought I'd been exposed possibly on Friday. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, yes. Well, I'm I'm amazed that you made time out of your week to record this show, uh, given all of your states of injury and medical distress. Well, I think I told you last week I was going to try to read these comics at the last minute so that they were all fresh in my mind, and that's actually what ended up happening. I ended up reading them over the last two days. Uh, I forgot how I forgot how right. long uh, King City is, uh, but what a marvelous book! Yeah, it's pretty so cool. right. So we haven't talked about what the books oh, are. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. Um, so. And and let's give a, a, a explain to our audience why we're doing this. Uh, so, having read several books now over the course of this podcast, Gene and I have come to the conclusion that um, there's a lot of things that we like that we have mutual affection for, uh, books and movies and True. such, but uh, we keep getting dismayed by the things that we find different and so now we're curious about well the things that we do both like are we liking them for the same reasons what is the what is going on between us is it pure coincidence are we actually noticing the same things going on right right i think it's gonna i think this is gonna be uh both the most fun episode and the weirdest episode so uh, i'm looking forward to it so the four books that we have chosen to read this week, we wanted to do comics, we wanted to do graphic novels, uh, because we haven't done those on the show yet, and we are both big comics readers and makers. And so we're, we're doing uh, uh, Robot so- Dreams by Sarah Varon, uh, Friends with Boys by Faith Aaron Hicks, Legion of Superheroes Teenage Revolution by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, and... And... King City by Brandon Graham, which you actually already mentioned. Oh, did I? Oh, yes. There but you go. You, you, that was, yeah. Anyway, so those are our four books. So uh, do we want to just kick it off, Gene, with uh, the book talk on Robot oh, Dreams? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Robot Dreams um, is one of the early first second books. Uh, it's by Sarah Varon. Uh, it's Sarah No H. Varon. And um, Sarah has written other graphic novels and kids' picture books. Uh, notably, Sweater Weather was her first book, I think. She's written a couple of books um, about a chicken and a cat that are picture books but kind of comics. She wrote a great book called Bake Sale um, and a book called Odd Duck that I really, really liked. Uh, but Robot Dreams is the first one I remember reading by her. 
and it is about a dog that sends away for a robot kit, builds a robot, has kind of an instant friend. The first place they go, the public library. Woohoo! I'm on board of this book. Uh, they rent Castle in the Sky, they watch it, and then they go back to the library. They get a book on uh, dog beaches, like kind of a guidebook to dog beaches. They go to the dog beach, they play in the water, they play in the sand, they sit in the sun. And after that day at the beach, uh, they go get ready to leave. The dog's packing up and the robot can't move. And so the dog looks kind of embarrassed and then the dog leaves the robot at the beach. And <laughs> there the robot stays for most of the rest of the book. Um, as the dog kind of tries to go back and save him, but the beach is locked. It is a very, very melancholy book. And, and the dog makes other friends that kind of come and go. And the robot just dreams mostly about being better friends with the dog. It is, it is so sad. And it's, it's drawn so, so kind of beautifully and cutesy that the sadness is just, it's this weird counterpoint. That's my pitch for the book. Willow, let's talk about the book. I don't know how to talk about it. Is, yeah, you know, it is truly a sad, sad book. And I had forgotten some of that. Like, I remembered the general premise. I read this in grad school. I think the reason I picked this up, um, I was reading a lot of comics, but uh, I was at a panel of um, industry professionals and they all randomly, I don't remember who brought it up, but one of them brought up this book. I think it's because they were talking about how hard it was to market. They're like, what genre do we I can't imagine. And, and it's mostly like, mar it's mostly in kids sections when I find it. And I'm like, this is, I don't know if this is a kid's book. I mean. Right, yeah, that is, that was part of the thing they were talking about. It's like, well, like a kid can read it, but like, should they? It's not obvious if like a kid would enjoy this because it is a very depressing story that has some adult themes in it, you know. I will say I read it to my daughter when she was five, when it came out, and she loved it. So I don't know. I don't it know what does, she took away a, it, with it, from it, it but uh, right. I mean, in a way, it almost does have sort of a fairy tale quality to it, in that it, it, you know, you could compare the the sort of robot being stuck on this beach this whole book as like a being under a curse, right? That that we have a lot of children's stories that are about, you know, this terrible fate befalling someone and it's seemingly lasting forever. And then, you know, it gets miraculously fixed. And that kind of describes the narrative of this story. I, I you guess. Know, they do. But it, it isn't quite a happily ever after. But the either. curse is the like, dog is the curse a, is the dog is a dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that dog's a jerk. Well, but he has some remorse. So, yeah. Right, the dog could have done more, but it's one of those things of I think we're, I, you know, that's one thing is I'm not sure how literal we're supposed to take it, right? I think it's very literal to to me anyway. I mean, I, I take it, I take it as literal. It is literal, but it also feels very much like a parable that, like, sure, sure, it has that quality. And you know, I think that we're also supposed to feel like the dog is somewhat powerless against the the larger forces of this world, not to. Uh, not to wax too poetic. Well, the, the dog is pretty lonely too. Like the dog makes friends with um, a, a bird, and then the bird goes away for the winter, right? And, it, and it's, it's, I should I should say it's told in kind of a month to month format, where you see both characters usually. I think, yeah, I, I actually think this is a really interesting book to revisit um, after slash during quarantine. Um, as someone who has struggled with loneliness a lot, like I've I feel like I have, I sometimes simultaneously been both the dog and the robot in this story, mm -hmm. that it's like, 
the the dog is continuously trying to be social and make friends and and failing over and over and again that like oh no none of these friendships are working out i had a great friendship and i lost it due to a dumb circumstance and then the robot is is also lonely but like more drastically awfully so and just completely utterly isolated yeah but but the robots having these these dreams that are very pleasant mostly about the dog although that incident with the three rabbits is the weirdest thing in the book to me where the rabbits the, the, the uh, rabbits which... suddenly appear on the beach they kind of come up in a rowboat that has a hole in it and and they they look at the <laughs> robot and then the robot looks up at the sky and sees these three rabbits these three cute rabbits and the robot has this dream about them like fixing him and him going off and finding the dog but what really happens is yeah. the rabbit like knocks one of his legs off with an oar and uses one of his toes to <laughs> fix the boat and then they they go off and leave the robot laying on the beach <laughs> like it's right. it's it's brutal <laughs> but like i like it all kind of works out in the end right but the the well this is one of the weird things too is this like you know the robot has this sort of bizarre place where where he's not exactly a full person to a lot of these characters mm-hmm. like the rabbits but even even the person who sort of saves the robot is this raccoon but it's not obvious that the raccoon cares about the robot at first like they become friends right after the after the raccoon attaches him to a radio and then the robot starts dancing right but I, but I feel as if it, like the the raccoon didn't actually care about the robot originally. It was just like, yeah, this will help me fix my radio. It's like I didn't have noble intentions at all. I feel like when AI emerges, they're going to point to this book and go, well, we got to do away with all these people. <laughs> Maybe especially the dogs. Let's kill all the dogs. This is why AI will kill the yeah, dogs. Yeah, there's, de- there's definitely nothing else in human history that would lead to our annihilation. The, any crimes that we've committed. No, it's robot dreams by Sarah <laughs> That's right. Aaron. That's, That's the, right. Uh, that's the thing that the AI are going to point to. Well, sure. what, what I find so weird about the ending, too, is that, like, the dog basically just builds himself another friend <laughs> and then treats him better, right? It's like... Right. Which I... Well, to be fair, to be fair, the dog didn't know at the beginning that getting in the water was going to hurt the robot. I guess, but, like, like it's, the, it's the embarrassed look on the dog's face when he leaves the robot on the beach <laughs> that I feel like is so... Yeah. It's so strange. It's so hard to interpret. It's such a weird moment. But the whole thing works. Like, like I think there's some lesson about friendship and about, like, oh, I was a shitty friend. I need to be a better friend. You know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, what? one of the panelists uh, said that this book... Th- 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 that they thought this book was, like, about divorce or, like, clearly about oh some God. kind of romantic relationship. And I have a hard time not seeing it through that lens because that did color my reading of hmm. it. Like, I can definitely... I can definitely see that in there, although I don't know, like... I don't know that that's inherently true of it, right? I don't. I don't feel like don't. that at all. But uh, yeah, I I never thought about it with that uh, that in mind. So I love I love the art in this book so much. I love the way, um, like, so many of the lines, the what would be like inked lines, are the color's been changed so they, it complements the colors around it, or the colors that it kind of encloses. Um, yeah, the the art is very simplistic. Um, which is not a bad thing, but it, it does. I, you know, I enjoy a wide variety of art styles. I enjoy the art in this book. Um, it's simplistic. Some might call it crude, and there is a certain crudity to some of the line work going on, uh, which does not, you know, I think it, it, if anything, like if this book were exquisitely, uh, uh, you know, uh, wood carved, it would probably make it weirder. I find it. I find it amazingly well drawn. You know, I mean, I, I think the panels are not, are kind of the crudest thing in this. 
Um, do you think it was drawn with a, with a pen? Is it, would you suspect that or would you think it was drawn digitally? There are some parts of it that look like actual ink brush to me, but I think it probably was done digitally altogether. Mm. I just really, I, I really uh, like it. It makes, me, it makes me feel very happy despite the sadness of the book. I think given just the, the way that it was colored, that alone I, makes me think that the whole thing was done digitally right. from, from start to just finish. Just because it's easier to change the color um, of, the, of the lines in that. Well, like, right, because I think, I, 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 don't, I don't have my copy in front of me because I had to borrow it from the library but, and I returned it. But um, Damn you due dates. What? Well, I'm guessing, the, I'm guessing Sarah Varen also did the coloring in it because that's like actually more art than the, than the line work in oh, a way. Oh, the colors are so great. And so, yeah, I'm guessing that I'm guessing that's how it worked. But like, either way, it it probably doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, someone's someone's gonna crucify me for saying that. Like, no, of course it matters. I I am the kind of person that does not care about the artistic process mm-hmm. as much. I I know if you've read Library Comic in the last two years, you could tell, have it, can't you? <laughs> Come on, Willow. Well, it's, it's it's got a my my copy has a quote from uh, Daniel Handler, and uh, Jessica and Jessica oh, yeah. Abel. Yeah, yeah. What did uh, Daniel Handler have to uh, say? Chicken and Cat made me super happy. The knowledge that Sarah Varen has now drawn a book about robots makes me want to lock on the word duper to my mood. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's nice. nice. Yeah, it's goofy. Anyway, okay. Well, uh, well. so we both seem to love this book, kind of for the same reason. Is that is that fair? I think so. I think we both have the same thoughts about it, and we, we both recognize that it is this very sad, weird story it's very dreamlike mm-hmm. it's called robot dreams and it is about dreams but like that like even the parts that aren't dreams right is dreamlike mm-hmm. i agree so yeah i think we pretty much agree on i i can't think of anything that we've split hairs this is about. crazy this is crazy i don't think we've ever talked about a book where we weren't like what that's well, why you it, like this and it well and it makes sense because it's so kind of fundamentally simple in what sure. it is that you can't not agree on it in a way. At least I don't. You'd have to be really out there to have a divergent opinion on this. Probably. Right. Well, if you were looking at it as, as a book on divorce and you had you just supported this metaphor, I'd be like, well, what's going on? But yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Well, what, what, what's next? Why well, well, Anyway. <laughs> what, 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 right. what is next? I'm not trying to start anything. <laughs> Give. I think you have the next the next pitch. Yes. Uh, our next book is Friends with Boys by Faith Aaron Hicks. Uh, so this comic i i haven't prepared a good book talk for this so i'm sort of doing this on the fly but um this is a story about a high schooler named maggie who is the youngest of uh four or five children total four kids it feels like it's more though um that's because of the twins she's got so she's got three older brothers two of who are twins and uh, she's got, she has been homeschooled her entire life, as were her older brothers, but they've all been slowly matriculating into public school. Uh, their father is the is the newly minted town sheriff, I believe, or chief of police rather, which yep, is different chief of police. from a right. So he's 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 the new chief of police. Um, they've been living in this town their whole life, I think, and uh, their mother is out of the picture when we first uh, meet them. And so, somewhat recently, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's. I don't think they say exactly when she left, but uh, she's been out of the picture for a little while. So, so Maggie is 
very nervous about her first day of high school, but also kind of excited, and it's a big overload for her. And she doesn't make friends very quickly, but she does come across two kids, uh, Lucy and Alistair, who are siblings. Uh, Lucy wants to befriend Maggie, and they become friends pretty quickly um, after, you know, Maggie has a couple uh, hard first days of school. And then we start uh, unraveling this sort of web of drama that there's this very macho, preppy volleyball team uh, that Alistair used to be a member of, and they're kind of the school bullies. They're the jocks. Uh, but Alistair has left them and become a punk, but Alistair has bad blood with, as as do the jocks, with uh, Maggie's oldest brother, whose name I Daniel. forget. Daniel, thank you. Um, and also... Because, because he's uh, a drama kid. Right? Going on, yeah, also, right, he's not traditionally masculine uh, in the high school way. And maybe the strangest wrinkle of all this is that Maggie sees a ghost, one specific ghost that she's seen, for, as far as we know, like her entire life, who is like some, uh, you know, Civil War looking ghost. Right, right, right. Uh, who's a, a lady with hair in ringlets who haunts a specific graveyard and occasionally comes to like Maggie's right, house. Right, right, right. And can't, can't talk. There's no communication. Maggie talks to the ghost. The ghost does not talk back. Um... <laughs> I, so I, I'm gonna not editorialize on this. It's still the book talk. So I think I think I think that's forward. I think that's good. That, that, that's, that feels like a good end of the book talk. Um, okay, okay, that's the book talk. Um, I so my personal experience with this book. I got this book when it was new, and I just checked the, my my copy for the date. Uh, first edition printing, uh, 2012, 2012 yeah. which actually really surprised me because I thought this was probably like a 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved this book when it came out. I remember just going gaga for it, and, and, but I haven't reread it. I haven't read it since that time, and I'm rereading it now. And you know, and, well, I, I, th- I think we should say it's not it's not Faith Erin Hicks's first book, but it is an early early book for her, and it's the first one she wrote and drew besides her web comics, I believe. Right. It. I I have not read uh, an extensive amount of her work. I love her artwork. Um, one of my dear friends, Dr. Allison Bannister, a uh, huge fan of Faith Aaron Hicks. Did you grow up reading Demonology um, 101? No, I might have seen, like, banner ads for it, but I've never read it. I know it. she had several webcomics early on, and I haven't really, really read them. Um, and I know, I, I know... I know, like, The Adventures of Superhero Girl, I think that was a webcomic that she did for a while. And I think that... Um, Maybe Zombies Calling was also published as a, a webcomic. And she so so and then she did some she she illustrated some books for other people through first second. And then this was the first book that she actually did just by herself. Okay. Um yeah, anyway, you know, just talking about this particular book, Friends with Boys. Um the thing that I s I'll never stop loving about it is the art. The art is gorgeous. It is it is a uh, brush ink brush porn. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I was curious absolutely. to hear what you would say about this. Oh, it's gorgeous. To Tell look me about at. it. Some of these pages. Well, it's so detailed and there's so much just wonderful texture. And, you know, I love the grayscale of this book. I've, I've come back to this like visually several times of like, I, 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 I've never done a good job of emulating it by any means, uh, in part because I work digitally. And, but uh, 
it's just it's just beautiful to look at. You can't not fall in love. Like the characters look great. The backgrounds are incredible. Well, the thing I had never I had never appreciated uh, about it was that is that there's just one color of gray throughout it. It's like it's like black yeah. and white and gray, yeah. and she does so much with it. It's just so it's it's she so wonderful. Does, and yeah. she makes the the dark like the scenes in the dark work, and the scene uh, where um, Maggie and Lucy and Alistair go and watch Alien in the movie theater. The the lighting is so cool with just the black and the white and the gray. I, I love it so right. much. Yeah, if you're if you're a fan of just brushwork comics and you just want to see some cool black and white comics with one gray in it, like you absolutely pick this book up. You're you're not going to be disappointed art wise. Um, I but this was weird for me rereading the story. How you know I I remember loving this book when I was apparently 22, which feels older than what I remember. Mm. And, and this is sort of a weird reminder of that, like, I have a person have changed in my own taste that, like, it's not that I hate the story, but I look at it now, I'm like, oh, it's very simplistic, and a lot of the dialogue is, like, I don't want to say Saturday morning cartoon. It, it has kind of a quality to it that um, I, I'm like, people don't talk like this. This is so, even even high schoolers, like, they're just... They're just announcing their feelings in kind of a like a weird way hmm. that uh, that rings to me as false. And like there's still it's a very cute story, right? This is what my mother would say after going to see a movie with me. It's like, yeah, that was cute. That was her way of saying, like, it wasn't bad, it wasn't good. There were things about it that were nice, but it wasn't fine art. It was cute. I mean, I so I, I still love this book. I, I unequivocally love this book. I think it's probably my favorite book by her. Um, yeah. um and, and and it may be when i read it and it may be that i read it to my daughter when it came out who would have been about nine or ten around then and i think it's a book it's it's a book that uh like younger teens would read right you have to look at it like it's a book for like 13 or 14 year olds who are wondering about high school a little bit so yeah why right? yeah yeah why but young ya like, like the characters are kind of in high school but it's about somebody who's just starting high school at the center of it and so It'd be read by kids in middle school, kind of thinking about high school more often than not, I think. And so, w- with that in mind, I, I think I think it works. The dialogue didn't strike me as as bad. The writing didn't strike me as bad. I kind of like it for um, for the ghosty weirdness and the way the ghosty weirdness doesn't resolve in the book uh, via kind of the, the obvious method, right? Which is like the that Maggie and her friends commit a theft and get in trouble, and that's all kind of it's it's all kind of made okay by the end of the book but but it doesn't resolve the the ghost's problem like that's just kind of left hanging cuz who knows what the ghost wants right yeah well that that is one of the things i don't like about it and i had forgotten about this part of the story um i i think in my memory they must have resolved the ghost problem because of course they would resolve the ghost problem but it's like no the ghost is a ghost forever as far as we know and the the thing that stands in for resolution which i don't consider resolution is that uh it's revealed that the older brothers have all seen this ghost their entire lives and no one's just ever talked about it. That it's never come up once. That like, yeah, we've all seen the ghost. And and that's interesting, but it doesn't help. Like it doesn't <laughs> granted you could say that like maybe seeing the ghost isn't a problem because the ghost isn't, you mm-hmm. know, killing them or making their lives actually worse. It's a very uh neutral ghost, if you will. It doesn't do anything other than float around. See, I really, I really like the structure of the book because, like, like, I think there's two resolutions for me. It's that, it's that Maggie and Lucy 
become very, very good friends by the end of the book. And that Alistair kind of proves himself to Daniel, who he's been a jerk to by the end. Um, like it, 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 that, that whole uh, subplot is kind of resolved. And that, that's enough for me. I just really like, I really like the way this book moves through those two stories and kind of uh, has, a, has a false focus on the ghost. You know, I don't disagree, and yeah, I well, I like the I like the Alistair Daniel stuff. Um, I like Lucy as a character. I think in in some ways, I feel like the book should maybe have just been about her. Um, I I think there's good stuff there. I just wish that more had happened with it. Right, like there, there's some parts of this book that feel unnecessary and weird. Like there's a whole subplot, and I say subplot very loosely about how like okay, the twin brothers are fighting fighting's a strong word they're like one of them's not talking to the other and it's resolved in one page at the end where they're just like why don't we hang out anymore i don't know i love you i love you too and it's like okay so there was a conflict but the conflict wasn't really fleshed out and then its resolution also isn't really fleshed out it just it it like it's a conflict in name alone almost well yeah i i understand that but but i think that i think that this um it, it kind of moves away from some storytelling conventions and some structures like like that it kind of almost has but doesn't quite have and i think i think because of that it just feels um boy it it it, it feels much more personal to me in the way that a comic feels when somebody wrote and drew it and didn't have to turn it into like a pixar movie of a book you know what i mean that's well, but that's the thing is I feel like in some ways this is a Pixar movie of a book and that's not a that's not an entire insult against it, but the the parts that I don't like about it are the parts that feel Pixar and the parts I do like about it feel like an indie cartoonist. But but right? I, I always feel like the Pixar movies the, the the key thing is the structure, right? Like like the, the structure of the story is so I would argue, I would argue that like the, it's so well developed. With the except the ex, I would argue with, with the exception of Coco, probably I haven't seen Luca. Don't at me. I, would argue, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. But other than Coco, I feel like the last ten years of Pixar movies have had like no structure. Oh, like you're thinking of you're thinking of back in the day when they were well made, and it's like all right, we had The Incredibles. We had that is what I'm thinking of. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Those movies that those movies have structures. The recent ones have abandoned structure so Oh, you're making me want to watch them now. Now I have to watch them. (laughs) They make me so mad. Oh, great. You're totally selling me on these. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you probably love them. I probably would. Like no, but structure is a good thing. You want to have a good structure. Well, well, but 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 I I feel like I feel like you know, like so many books have have the same the same story structure, and and I just don't like it. And this feels so so refreshing to me, even reading it again. Like I I still just love it. That's what makes this book, I think, my favorite of her books. You know, I mean, I mean, her new book, uh, her newest book that I've read, uh, Pumpkinheads, which was written by Rainbow Rowell. I think. you know, it, it has it has just enough uh, stuff that's not embedded in a in a classic structure, but it's it's very slick as well, and it's colored, and that kind of pushes the the inks to the background. But it's it's a great book. But this just this just feels a little bit more raw, and I, I like that quality about it. So, do we like this book for the same reasons? It sounds like kind Mostly. some of them, but not. Not Mostly, but, but yeah. I'm still I'm still much hotter in this book than you are. I think, like, like, like. I... Yeah. Well, yeah. And if you'd talked to me when I was 22, I probably would have agreed. <laughs> okay. 
I, I, yeah, I mean yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, Legion of Superheroes. Legion of Superheroes Teenage Revolution. Uh, this was the first um, book by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. I think there are four books, maybe a couple of issues that weren't collected in this run of Legion of Superheroes. Uh, this book, the issues that are collected in this book date from 2004 to 2005. Uh, Barry Kitson and Mark Wade have both done a lot of work for DC Comics and Marvel Comics and other superhero comics companies. They'd worked together a couple times on some uh, Legion titles in the past. Uh, Barry Kitson drew some of the Legion of Superheroes books I read when I was a kid. Um, I think they both worked on Empire together, which is one of Wade's indie books, the first issues of that. Um, they're, they're kind of superhero comics superstars. Uh, and Legion of Superheroes Teenage Revolution is this kind of reimagining of the Legion pitched as a teenage rebellion, um, really hard as a teenage rebellion against a utopian society where everything is safe. They're tired of everything being safe. They kind of want to shake things up. And they're doing that by emulating the Age of Heroes, which is the age of superheroes that we all know about, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, which is a bit forgotten in the 31st century when this is set. Uh, but they have these flight rings that allow them to, to fly and communicate with each other. Uh, they are a group of young people from across the galaxy. Um, they are kind of like their existence flies in the face of the science police and the United Planets. Uh, but they're also vaguely working with these governments um, in the book, there is some. There's a lot of there's a lot of jokes about the characters. So if you grew up with these characters, like Mark Wade is so good at figuring out funny little character moments, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, that that those are those are embedded in here. And there's also kind of a big bad apocalypse on the horizon. Uh, Dream Girl can kind of see this coming. All the precogs, the people who can see the future on her planet, can see it coming. Um, and by the end of the book, we have uh, kind of a, super, a team of supervillains, and also kind of one of the most sinister supervillains. I think makes an episode, makes an appearance, not an episode, makes an appearance right at the end of the of the book, setting set for book two, um, which is also fantastic, uh, in my estimation. There we go. Uh, oh, and the Legion of Superheroes. Um, what is it? Their uh, their current slogan is "Eat it, Grandpa." Apparently, uh, which I really liked. Willow, you had never read this book before, right? Uh, I had not read this one. I have read other Legion of Superheroes comics. I really enjoyed the Legion of Superheroes. I like a lot of superhero stuff. Uh, I I could go on forever about it, but but did you like um, did you like this book did, as a, know, as a counterpoint to those books, or did you feel like it was too much? Or I did. I was I was taken aback at what a different version of the Legion this is because I'm familiar with like even even recent interpretations of them are like a lot of which are still very campy. I read one, I want to say it was a Jeff Loeb uh, trade paperback that was a very dark, edgy one that I hated. And this one towed the line in a really interesting right, way right. where it was, it's not campy at all, but it it doesn't get so aggressively dark that you're like, oh God, I hate it. Like, like they fight a lot. There's a lot of teen drama, right, right, right. but it's, for the most part, it's pretty believable teen drama. Um, I, I, I do take some issue with, like, attributing a lot of that to, like, Brainiac 5, which I'm like, okay, come on. He's not the drama guy on the team. I, I like, I, He's Mr. Logic and But smarts. I like how pissed he is at Dream Girl, because Dream Girl, like, like, he can spend all this time deducing something, and then Dream Girl can just, like, dream it and know it, and that's it. Yeah, it's really I'm, funny. My, my, you know, when I think of, when I, my, my characterization of Brainiac 5 in my mind is that, like, 
he would be he would be irked by it, but he wouldn't like this Brainiac Five like actually like punches walls and stuff. That that to me is a bit much. But overall, I did I did really like this book. I like the the teenage rebellion aspect of it. I think that that says a lot because that says a lot about this world that hasn't been said. Now it is weird because I feel like every time we go visit the Legion of Superheroes, it's always a reboot. We never get to carry anything between these stories and that kind of sucks but at the same time that's nice because i think some of this could be carried to a lot of superhero comics i think continuity is a baggage that that hurts a lot of our story but i but i think i I think this Um, book allows you to carry things forward because you know these characters and their powers and their personalities just just enough if you've read old legion superheroes books that like you get funny things like uh, Colossal Boy arguing that he's really micro lad because his power is actually shrinking and not growing. He comes from a race of giants. Right. Like, like that's it's funny, right? I mean, they're they're kind of like small distractions from the story, but you can tell like Wade had a bag of these that they just kind of pulled the best from. Um, yeah, well, and they they expect you to know I, a little something about these characters because you know Timberwolf shows up, who's one of my favorite characters, of course, and like. And, and they kind of act like, no, if you don't already know who he is, screw you. We're not telling you anything more about this character. Like, he doesn't go by his uh, by that superhero name. Uh, it's it's weird. Well, it's not um, it's not all explained, so you have to kind of bring something forward. Or it assumes you're bringing something forward. And, and, and why not? I mean, you're probably a superhero comics geek if you've picked this up. Or you can look up a Wikipedia article, right? I would say that... Maybe my biggest criticism of this book is probably the art. Uh, the art really did not do it for me. It probably had a lot to do with the coloring, to be honest. Um, but it also has... Uh, I, I don't have a term for this, but there's a there's a school of superhero comics drawing where you draw these, these really specific faces that are like mid-sentence that are sort of twisted into, into this weird mouth shape that <laughs> like... It never it never fits the scene, and like yeah, like yeah, this guy can draw musculature and he can draw some great you know backgrounds, um, but then it's like oh yeah no Phantom Girl's just gonna have her mouth distorted in this weird way while she's in the middle of her sentence that you're like that doesn't seem like a mouth you would ever no, make. No, I can't not look at the mouths. <laughs> it's well, and, and the, I mean this artist is not um, is not alone in this. I think this is a, a fairly common sin. I think I think I think, I think Barry comics. Kitson's awesome because because the the action just moves, and I think that's the main thing. Everybody has uh, facial expressions. The facial expressions work as hard as they need to in a superhero comic, and there's so much weird stuff that Kitson draws in here, like that alien ambassador with all the tentacles. I mean, drawn for you, Willow Payne. Can I just say, like, when I saw the alien ambassador, I had completely forgotten about the alien ambassador, all the tentacles, and I was like, perfect. Willow's gonna love this book. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty good alien ambassador. And everything, lie. everything in here um, is so well designed, from the Legion, the new Legion logo, which is slightly different than it usually is, to the the way the superhero costumes are done, to the flight rings and the way they're featured in the stories, and the fight scenes are just great. They're like they're kind of they're kind of they're kind of dumb in the way all fight scenes are in comics, but they work. They just work, and the science police. I, I don't know. I actually did not care for the new Legion logo. I'll admit, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's. That's a little confusing. Um, I know. I, I well. I want to. I want to reemphasize. I did like this book, uh, but I am. I because I'm the only voice of criticism on this podcast. I have to say the things that I didn't like. Sure, sure. Well, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, so, I, I will say. I will say the coloring 
is a little early 2000s, like with the gradients and stuff. Oh yeah, but for it, sure. Well, and just not—I don't know. I would have liked—I would have liked colors that popped a little more. It felt um, there was a lot of this like gray blue going mm-hmm. on, that and 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 like so many of the colors were like, like I'm okay with subdued colors, but they were far too. Subdued, well, it's, it's very dark know? in places. It's it's not on glossy paper either. The the copy that I have, and I think all the copies of this book that I've ever seen, they're on that kind of they're, yeah, they're on that I kind was... of pulpy paper, which I like because it makes it feel like a book that I read in the 80s like i just want to say like this is nostalgic for me in a way that it's probably not for you right this book smells right to me it smells like a comic you know like yeah i get that um i will say that the ending so when this when this villain comes out at at the end and like it's that that part really felt dumb to me oh really like well i i like i you know i didn't think the villain concept was bad but it was if 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 I were if I could travel back in time to Mark Wade's writing desk and offer him some him some advice, the villain shouldn't come in and explain to Brainiac Five what his dark and evil plan is and then wipe Brainiac Five's memory. He should be telling this plan to some other villainous agent that like we just we we as the camera just went over to his house instead of him literally coming to Brainiac 5. Because it, it made no sense for him to gloat about his plans to this person who was not going to cooperate and then wipe well, his he's so he's, like, he, yeah, he's so lonely. He's such a lonely villain because nobody knows who he is because nobody remembers him, right? <laughs> like, it's beautiful. Well, sure. You can justify anything. I guess, yeah, that yeah. doesn't make it... That doesn't make I, I want to say to you, I, I'm, I'm um, looking through my copy right now, and I think the reason the colors are so muted is so that the the whites and the yellows, the really bright whites and yellows of people using their powers and the electronics and stuff can pop. It, 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 it's very it's very strange, I, but I'm looking at Sunboy using his powers, and I'm looking at um, like like uh, Phantom Phantom Girl. Is that her name? Uh, yeah. Like 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 kind of moving through things. And it's like it's like that contrast is what they were going for, but I I think they didn't have a way to do it better than this, better than just making everything else dark, like lightning lads, uh, lightning, kind of glows. I mean, there are a couple of scenes that have really cool coloring. Um, one of which is like that last scene where Brainiac Five is just surrounded by glowing computers, and the coloring in that is perfect. Like if the whole book was colored like that, I'd yeah, be yeah. happy. Um, one thing that I will say that I this is just. Uh, personal thing is that I think Mark Wade and I must have like the same list of favorite Legionnaires because a lot of them get fo- like like I love Karate Kid you know I love I love Timberwolf I love uh, Phantom Girl so like the the fact that these ones got a lot of time sure. you know like who gives Karate Kid time really I, in a comic I, well book? Karate Kid is awesome I have to say missing from this for me Bouncing Boy where is Bouncing Boy I mean come on Ag- agreed. Yeah, Bouncing Boy would have been. Nice. I think he comes in later. Um, um, and uh, I mean, but but Dream Girl was well enough done. Triplicate Girl gets a lot of time. Uh, right. I don't. the The Triplicate Girl backstory stuff was fun, and I liked it. But I also I would have also liked a version of Triplicate Girl that was more of a normal teen girl. The because that's the version I'm familiar mm-hmm. with. Um, but I do, I do love Triple K Girl. I, I love the Phantom Girl stuff. The Phantom Girl stuff, where she's like half in our reality, half in the reality she comes from. That was that was awesome. Right. Love that. I think that is. I think that's actually part of. It, it, I don't dislike the book for this reason, but it's but it's a little hard for me because 
so much of this book is giving these characters all of this drama that like oh yeah no phantom girl is constantly in between these two worlds and therefore has like relationships in both worlds that are confusing and uh same thing with triplet girl that like oh yeah she, you know there's a scene in this that uh it's sort of played for laughs but i took it in a not in that way where like she's on three different dates at the same time that are like culminating in the same place and it's it's kind of weird um but i appreciate that like that is good writing. That that is a smart thing that Mark Way did. That like none of these characters lead uncomplicated lives. Right, right, right. They are all they all have baggage. They all have something going. It's like on. the three way that never but happens in the book. So sad. Right, but there, but there's a part of my nine year old brain that wants superheroes to only ever win and nothing bad ever happened to them. Uh, but I appreciate that that part of my brain is not it's not right about things. Well, and this this has like an insanely positive vibe to it, despite all the chaos and apocalyptic stuff that's coming, right? Like like it, it's it kind of bops right along, you know, like like teenage revolution is great. And what I like at the end too is that the even the the villains seem to want to just change the the way things are done because they're bored as well. So it's like it's like the Legion of Superheroes and the villains are kind of on the same side. They're just going about it differently. It's very strange. Well, a lot, I think the I think we might be interpreting the status quo of this world a little different, because I think it's not just that the world is boring, but I think the Legionnaires are addressing that, like, that things are not fine as they... Like, this world is not without conflict to, to by default, right? Like, that ambassador probably would have... Um, was always going to be some kind of a plant, like, regardless of whether or not the Legion was involved. Yeah, it's unclear to me. That's a little weird. Like, like I don't know where that ambassador came from, now that I'm thinking about it, but maybe? I mean, like, are there, are there problems? Yeah. I don't think there are supposed to be problems, except for somehow, like, right when the Legion has decided to form, like, like this galactic apocalypse is, is coming about. But clearly there's a need for science police, right? So there must, must be something. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So, did we like this book in the same way? I mean, you know, I I think so. I think I think again, I'm probably a little more forgiving of it. But I've 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 read the whole run a couple times, and I you know, it's just it's just one of my favorite runs on superhero comics. It's just so fun. Yeah, and I I still liked a lot about it. It was an interesting take on these characters that I already mm-hmm. like. Um, over overall, I I I would recommend this to people who like superhero comics, who like the Legion. Um, I don't know if I would give this to anyone as like their first taste of superheroes or Legion or Mark Wade for that matter. I guess, I guess the I guess the test uh, for me is: Are you going to seek out the other issues of it, or are you kind of do you feel like that that was enough for you? Um, you know, I probably am not. I, just because I'm more interested in reading other things right mm. now. See, 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 my response um, to reading this is like I immediately have to read all the rest of the issues again. <laughs> like, like I'm going to take time. It. it if you if you were to tell me that it got much much better, not that it was bad, but like things get to a place where you're like no, but you have to read volume three because volume three is where things pop off in a big bad way, then I would say okay, I'll keep reading. It. I think the first two are a nice arc, and then three and four go a different direction. Um, Honestly, the biggest turnoff for me is actually the art of this book. Huh. It's not bad. It's just it's not what I am looking for out of a superhero comic or comics in general. It's not my. It's not my huh. style. See, and I and I just I just kind of enjoy it for what it is. Like like, but I don't think I spend as much time 
you know, worrying about it. Like, like, like it's not, it's not distracting to me. And in the best moments, it, it's fantastic. It, yeah. So. All right. And then I think that brings us to our final, our final book, book King podcast. City by Brandon Graham. Go Willow. All right. Okay. So King City is this really fascinating book. Uh, we are introduced to a protagonist. Uh, his name is Joe. He is, his profession is cat master. He's been training <laughs> With sort of this colonist of people, he's, he has a special super cat that he gives chemical injections to that sort of make the cat into this sort of perfect omni-tool super weapon. Um, so a cat master is kind of a, a spy, a, a, a weapon master, all kinds of a, a, a jack-of-all-trades, cool guy to have around. What is the um, cat's name? Uh, the cat's name is, I believe, J.J. Earthling. Just Earthling, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think there's actually another part. I think of so too. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Joe come is, is the beginning of the book is him coming back to King City, uh, which is a place that he's lived for a long time. I, it's never addressed where King City is. This does take place in Earth, but it's a sort of a deeply futuristic Earth in which aliens are here and all kinds of crazy, you know. Uh, robots and Sasquatches. It's very whimsical, very fun. Uh, the the whole aesthetic is that like everyone in this world is some kind of samurai, bounty hunter, thief, assassin, ninja. There's all of these tropes flying together. It's ve- it's very futuristic, um, almost a little bit of like a Mobius, but with like an urban aesthetic Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. top of that um a lot of like asian african-american fusion blending stuff going on very cool aesthetic like one of the coolest comic books like if you wanted to read a book to make you cool you would pick up a copy of this there is a there is a transphobic slur within like the first three pages that really bothered me but uh other than that i don't uh, 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 you could say that there's some general misogyny in the way that uh, Brandon Graham draws women, but other than that, it's uh, not. I can't think of anything else problematic about this book. Um, anyway, but the actual plot. So Joe has a friend. His name is uh, Pete. Pete Tie Fighter, uh, who always wears this sort of ski mask, luchador mask. He has a bunch of these, and it's not that he never takes it off. He does, but he just prefers wearing it for some reason. Uh, and he's got his own storyline about uh, trying to rescue this alien girl who's being sold as into, you know, uh, sex slavery, basically. Um, Pete, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Joe is, I don't think it's entirely clear what he's doing back in King City other than he's just trying to make a living. He's just trying to get by. Well, it, it, it opens uh, with him stealing a, a key, right? Right, he's got he's got crime jobs. Everyone in this book is some kind of criminal, basically. Um, he's hung up on his ex girlfriend Anna, who's in a relationship with a veteran of these zombie wars in Korea. Uh, and right, so the, right, the Korean zombie wars, and we 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 meet, we spend a lot of time with with these two characters. Um, the boyfriend's name escapes Max. me in this moment. Thank you, Max. Which is a pun on. There's a lot of puns on this book. If you like it puns, is, it's it a is good book to read. Filthy with puns. It is a lot of good puns. I I used the uh, the marmoset pun the other day on a friend. Oh my god! They responded with, "I." They said, "I don't know if I should kiss you or punch Marma, you." Marmoset, there'd be uh, days like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Max has this whole problem of he's addicted to some kind of substance called chalk, which is also, it's it's kind of a, a narcotic, hallucinogenic sort of agent of some kind, painkiller, uh, opioid, and but it's, uh, you sprinkle it in your eye, and but it also turns you into chalk, so he's like starting to lose his fingers, they're turning into the substance. You turn into the drug you're we taking, some it's beautiful. Yeah, cool idea. We get some, you know, he, he's lost one of his war friends to this stuff. Uh, as far as we know, he's like the last surviving member of his platoon. We get some war flashbacks. The, he's all cut up. He's got these crazy scars all over his body, as did all of his friends in the war, which they had during the war, which says a lot, I think. Um, this book is kind of all over the place. Joe uh, eventually starts working with uh, the presumed leader of this gang, uh, the gang's called the Owls, and, you know, they're all sort of these strange masked warriors and spies and samurais. Uh, their, their leader is uh, Bibe, uh, who he enters into sort of a, a, a sexual, not not platonic, but also not, it's not a friendly, it's not a good relationship. Not and emotional. He is aware of this fairly quickly. Right. Uh, he he probably he wants to be treated more as a partner, and uh, she does not really give him the time of day, but uses him as a cat master. And he's sort of aware that he's being used, but doesn't really know what to do. Um, one of the things, you know, I, I must have read this in grad school, and one of the things that really caught me when I was 22, 23 reading this um, is how it, the, the ending actually has, a, a, I think, a fairly profound message um in that like the the book as a whole seems to deal a lot with this weird sense of ennui that that this character and a lot of these characters are sort of adrift in life they're trying to do the best with what they have they're not incompetent but at the same time they're kind of fighting this world in which even as cool as they are they're kind of powerless against it right but uh there is this very classic oh no the demon king is coming and he's gonna destroy the city and this other stuff and uh at one point joe is talking to his uh his mentor the leader of the cat masters who is just like yeah who's just like yeah there's always some kind of demon king or alien invasion or something you just have to learn to pick your battles and not sweat it and like so at the like at the climax of the book uh Bibe comes and says, tells Joe that uh, he has to come help fight the Demon King. And Joe says, no, I'm going to sit this one out. And she's just like, you're pathetic. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. Well, he, he's so clearly <laughs> done with her at that point. Um, and, and he's just, he's kind of, he kind of goes off to save, uh, try to save Max instead. Right. And to help uh, Anna, even, yeah. though it's, even though it's painful and, for him, which is a nice decision, I think. Right. And I think it's really interesting that, um, this book basically made me feel the same way this time as it did the first time I read it. That actually this one, this is just a great book altogether. It's so much fun. There's The art is gorgeous. It's insanely gorgeous. I want Brandon Graham to draw I feel like I feel so like I could good. I feel like I could linger on almost any page over and over oh, yeah. again. There's so much so much detail, so many tiny little things that you can look at. Well, it's crazy. Like, I don't know how much time he spent on this because part so much of it feels like you would have to improvise in order to get this book drawn yeah, yeah. but at the same but at the same time there's so much stuff put into it and i i think he's a genius art wise i uh i i saw him at the emerald city comic-con and i was talking to him after this book came out because it came out originally the first six issues were uh from tokyo pop in a single volume back when tokyo pop and viz were kind of fighting it out for uh, dominance of the manga market in the u.s 
And then uh, Tokyo Pop uh, had some problems and stopped publishing stuff for a while. And it was like you were never going to get the end of this because the second book was in the in the pipeline, but not done. And then Tokyo Pop and Image kind of worked it out where they co-published as single issues the rest of the book. And then it came, Then I think this book came out from Image later on as a, as a whole. It says it's 424 pages, which uh, it, it is a brick of a book for 20 bucks if you're looking for a, a bargain, a gift for yourself or for somebody else. Uh, it's still in yeah, print, I too. I think it says a lot that... The- of the books that we're talking about for this podcast, this one took the longest for both Gene and I to read because it is a big It book. is a big book. It but, is not But I was going to say, like, like the art from this, like, like that was on his table when I saw him at Emerald City Comic Con, was just amazing. And I wanted more than anything to buy the two my favorite two pages from it, which are that board game, those two board game pages yeah. uh, that are kind of toward mm-hmm. the end of the book. Uh, but I couldn't afford them. And I'm like, like I, that's one of those things where, like, ah, I should have just you know, put it on a credit card or gone and gotten some cash from somebody or something and just, just like mortgage the house to have those pages, <laughs> but they wouldn't do me any good. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh-oh. No, yeah, I don't recommend that you do no, that. No, it, it was a very reasonable price too. It was just that I, I had no I had no money. Um, but but uh, I just remember looking at those pages and going, oh, that's it's just so beautiful. It's just so nice. Um, so even even in person, even just those, those raw pages, just it's just how he draws and it feels like... It, 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 there's there's something very organic about these pages. There's something very just like kind of whimsical, like very kind of spur of the moment feeling about the writing and about um, about the way he draws as well. Everything is kind of, there's not a lot of uh, straight lines. There's not a lot of, I mean, there are on the buildings, right? But even the buildings feel somehow kind of like, they don't have that, that quality of like uh, straight lines in manga where everything feels really like technically drawn. These feel just kind of like, yeah, this is what I feel like a building looks like instead of what what a building right. actually looks like. And there's graffiti and there's little bits of dirt and grit and there's little words everywhere and the labels on everything are like a joke. And it's just so it's just yeah. so fun. It's full it's full of this advertising that is like in alien language essentially. Right. That but it feels like real advertising. Like that's the thing, is you kinda wanna live in King City. Like it feels like a real place where it's like, yeah, here's the Here's the overhead traffic, and these are the city streets, and they, they don't feel wrong. Like, everything about it is so thought out. Like, it makes sense in Brandon Graham's head, and it, and as a result, it really feels real to us when we're looking yeah, at yeah. it. Yeah, and, and there's there's some stuff that doesn't, I don't know, like 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 Pete doesn't really pay off for me, but it doesn't matter that much to me. Like like Pete falls in love with this this woman who this alien woman who's being trafficked, this alien kind of mermaid girl, and and rescues her like toward the end of the book. But it doesn't, it didn't have a lot of emotional resonance for me, right? It's just a thing that happens. Like I'm I'm really like along with Joe somehow, and not with Pete. Did you did you find yourself yeah. feeling that too? Well, I mean, Joe is obviously positioned to us as our protagonist. But I I don't know. I liked Pete's story for the most part. Um, I, you know, I think that's a very, I think it's a good story beat of, like, try to save this uh, person uh, who's, you know, being alien trafficked, if you will. Um, You know, that, like, it's for stories about criminal elements. Like, like he did a bad thing, like, because he was 
he was complacent with it to some extent, and he's like he's trying to make up for it. Like that's a good story. I like that. But but, story. but the world the world is so strange um, to me that like like things like when they go when uh, Joe goes to get the brains out of some woman who's like who's got four brains in her head, four alien brains in her. Yes, like yeah. like and and her head just gets cut open and she's laying there with these brains slopped out. And then the cat eats them. You're like. Like in any other book, this would be really gross. But here, it's just like it, the whole world is so strange that you have no idea what's going to happen next, yeah. and every page I, is kind of like just full of jokes, and it all kind of it it, it all works. Think, he ties it all together. I think we're meant to believe that that woman was those brains were inside of her, but they weren't actually like her brains. At least three of the four, like that that she was essentially trafficking those brains inside her own body. <laughs> but 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 I. I I, well, I, what I think is interesting, yeah. like like to compare this to uh, Friends with Boys for a second, is that at the end there's kind of that misdirection. There's the 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 demon king, this big kind of tentacled being, like parts of a brain being reassembled. Um, all these cat masters come to town to fight him. The owls are fighting him. Like everything's happening, and then um, Joe goes off to help Max, right? And, and like and like yeah. like we don't even know how that resolves. And like Friends with Boys does that same thing, but somehow. I'm kind of surprised you didn't like the way Friends with Boys dealt with that because I would I would compare these two like like this if you're hoping for that big battle scene, you get you're disappointed by it right you you well, you get something more human. The reason is be it's because we got the emotional payoff, which was that Joe Joe learned a lesson. Like Joe learned that like he had to take care of himself. That that his emotions and his well being. Are, are worth something that like his, his you know he was upset because he was lonely and like he felt like he needed a girl like Anna or Bebe to be right with himself and it's like no actually he he needed to assert his own needs and and like that was the act the, the arc wasn't can I defeat the demon king that doesn't matter like that's part of what the cat masters are saying is that like I, who cares if you could defeat the demon king or not like that's like you do you, man. Well, well, what do you think the lesson is Joe learned at I, the end of the book? To take care of himself. I just, yeah. That, well, that like he doesn't let to need women. Uh, he 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 doesn't need to give himself to these people to to have self worth. That he has his own self worth. That he can do what he wants to do at any given time. Uh, and that, you know, some people are worth taking care of just because it's the right thing to do. Like, he wasn't defeating the Demon King because he wanted to impress a girl. He was going to help this, his ex's dying boyfriend because, like, because she deserved to be happy and that guy deserved to live. Like, because that was the right thing to do in that situation. The Demon King was going to get taken care of regardless. Like, that was the the advice that he got and I think we're led to, meant to believe is true. I mean, the the, fi- the final pages are so so strange like like they're all kind of eating burritos or something like like in a room like like everybody together and the demon king outside is kind of peaceful like who knows what happened and then and then the final image is is like joe pissing off a building (laughs) next to the cat you're like what i think in comparison to friends with boys um the uh, if there is emotional payoff it doesn't feel like is the emotional payoff the Dan and Alistair stop hating each other because, like, there isn't, like like we iterated earlier, like, there isn't really emotional payoff with the ghost. The ghost just doesn't matter, period. Um, You know, Maggie and Lucy are already friends. 
and they weren't going to stop being friends regardless of what anyone else was going to say. You know, the kids didn't get in trouble for stealing the the weird uh, gauntlet, which is fine, but it wasn't like an emotional beat, I think. Right, it, right, right. It was nice that yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah, get yeah, in yeah, trouble. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what Maggie's emotional beat is at the end, except for everybody around her is kind of okay. And that's probably better for Maggie, right? Right. But, but, but it's, it's not like an active that's... thing she does, whereas, whereas uh, Joe does something. He takes an action that results in him being okay. Exactly. Exactly. Joe, right. Joe deciding is an action. It's an emotional action and it resonates. Like it means something. I re- I've remembered it for 10 years now. Like I, I didn't remember the ending to Friends of Boys. I remember that the art was good and I remember I liked the character designs, but I didn't remember the plot very well. I remembered the plot to this because it mattered then and it mattered now. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, that doesn't take away from Friends of Boys for me, but, but, uh, but I understand your take on it a little bit more now. Um, I, I like I like the back matter in the book too, like the bits and pieces that were in the. I, yeah. I find it a little confusing the way it's laid out um, in the book. If I had one criticism, it would be that that I, I kind of wish this was laid out like the individual comic books were, so that the 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 back matter, like the short stories, the short bits, kind of came when they came in the comic books, which is how I read this originally, which made those much more digestible and understandable. I. <laughs> I, I think this is actually really cool that uh, we set out with, on this quest to uh, try to understand our preferences better and why why we like these things. And I think we just we just did that in the last in the moments last moment. of this, reviewing this last book. Is that I I want this I want the story to matter. I want these things to matter. And I and it's you you want to be entertained, right? You you want something that is is interesting to you. And I, I want something that, like, takes a hard stance, right? Well, I, know, I mean, I know I, I want something to take a hard stance, too. But I just I just feel like, I mean, the end of Friends with Boys, I think, was enough for me, which doesn't, I mean, maybe it tells you something about how I read stories. But um, I think that, that as a package, I find it, I find that very pleasing. I find this very pleasing. I, I mean, I understand, I understand why this is fun for me, too. Like, I like, I like the motion away. I don't disagree with you about the end of this book. Um, I just you're just in it for the puns. I am though. not in it for the puns. No, this must be Brad Geiger's favorite book <laughs> in the world. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, I, I mean, know. I mean, I, I I just think this book is really fun, and I think I think I like it a lot for the same reason I like I like Francis Boys is that it's written and drawn by a single person. It's their total vision of a world. It pulls me right along and it has me rooting for the people in it. Right. Um, and there's there's funny there's funny character based stuff in this um, that just works like that marmoset joke. My favorite page is probably early in the book where Joe uh, gives the cat a shot and then he's using the cat as a periscope. He's got it. He's got his he's got his eye. Yeah. You realize later on he has his eye right to the cat's butthole and he's looking through the cat's mouth over over a railing so nobody can see him and all these killers with that all have very that funny is, that names. That is one of my favorite parts as well. That is one of my favorite parts. I think because there's this absurdity in that he can do anything with the cat, but he's going to use it as a periscope, it's which so like great. there's so many times when he could use the cat for a better reason. Oh my god. And th- and he doesn't. And I love, there's a moment where he's talking to Pete on a roof or something, and he says like, "Yeah, I wore like like oh, you changed your shirt," and, and Joe says, "Yeah, I wore the I wore the shit out of it," and and Pete says something stupid like, "Like until it had no shit left, and you were just wearing an R." 
<laughs> which like i looked at that like what yeah yeah that was that's some good i was like play. that's really that's really fucking deep like when did you come up with that did you come up with that when you were writing this like right when you were writing that page i felt like i feel like those jokes just come up when when they're being inked somehow maybe i'm wrong well i don't know well there's an afterward where he talks about how like he came up with all of the puns in the book and then he like sat on them for a week before like doing the sort of committing to them which i think is oh, really interesting that's so great like he wanted to, he wanted to make sure these puns would stand the test of time, which I think is says a lot. Did I ever, did I ever tell you about the greatest uh, library program I've ever been to? Uh, no, I can't say that you. So have. it was at uh, at the Seattle Public Library's University Branch, and uh, uh, the librarian I know, uh, Jesse, uh, who's a teen librarian still, she arranged it, um, and uh, it was a comics drawing program, kind of for kids, and you could and adults too. And it was uh, like Brandon Graham, Corey Lewis, James Stoko, Stoko. I think Moritat was there. Uh, it was this crazy array. There, there are other people. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, uh, like Marion Churchland might have been there. Um, I mean, I was like, Brandon Graham is going to be there. Corey Lewis is going to be there. This is crazy. And so uh, we went, and my daughter got to draw with them. <laughs> it was. It was the weirdest thing, like the weirdest kind of hour, hour and a half I've ever spent in the library. Just the most delightful. They were so good with all the kids and adults that were there. And they were like drawing for the kids. And so like somewhere my daughter has this cat that Brandon Graham drew for her, you know, like like when he was like when he was like encouraging her and she was drawing cats with Brandon Graham. She was drawing cats just sitting there. It was so fun. That's (laughs) that's great. Yeah. I love yeah, that. It, it really, really is one of my best uh, library memories, and I wasn't in charge of anything, so it was, it was <laughs> so cool, so cool. That's part of why it's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, like, I think I read, I read this book to her, you know, um, at some point when she was a kid, and uh, we kind of talked about that. So, yeah, I don't know, good memory. So, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to like this book no matter what, anyway. <laughs> so, did you ever read? So, did I you ever think... read Shark Knife by Corey Lewis, by the way. Nope, I I don't know any Corey Lewis oh, stuff. You got to read think. Shark Knife. Shark Knife is so good. Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of our graphic novel bonanza. Yeah, how how weird is it to listen to us agree for an hour? So strange. Right. Well, there were some disagreements, I, but I think we learned a lot. I I know that sounds like the thing you would say at the end of an episode of Reading Rainbow, <laughs> but uh, we we did actually learn something. We set out. We accomplished a goal. Uh, and we're better and, for it. It's like a like like the arc of a book that I would enjoy. Weirdly and learning enough. is half the battle. No well, wait, knowing okay. is half the battle. Never mind. You got <laughs> correct. <laughs> I, you know, learning is half the battle would also be good. Well, eh, <laughs> that'd be <whatever>. okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I think we should wrap it up. I think for, we should uh, over an hour. So, so uh, next time next time our book will be uh, Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. Uh, it's it's the Kevin Wilson novel I have not read before. Have you read any Kevin Wilson novels before? Never heard okay. of them. Okay, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this book uh, recommended to us. We'll talk about that next week when uh, when we when we do talk about it, or next week, next in three weeks when we talk about it. Um, but if you ha- if if you have any recommendations, send them to bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com there we go you're much better broadcaster than i am yes please please do recommend it to us we are getting near the end of our recommendations list we need more tell us why willow would like the book uh i'm sure i will probably like anything um and with that uh, i guess we'll sign off hopefully uh i'm looking for a week of calm and quiet (laughs) this is all i'm hoping for at this point 
And I hope you get it. I've been Willow Payne. I've been Gene. Sweet dreams, Willow. <laughs> Keep stabbing, folks. Okay. Good night.